Welcome back to the Four Podmen, the wrestling podcast we bring you each and every week on the Dynamo Podcast Network. Head over to YouTube, smash that subscribe and bell notification button. We're also available on Anchor if you prefer the audio version. You'll get us there at Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you pick up your audio podcasts. And tonight I'm joined, as always, by two of my four Podmen, the Road Dog, the D-O-double-G. How are you? Oh, fuck yeah, baby. Ready. Ready to go. Ready to shoot, baby. I'm making his return from a sabbatical with that extra knife in the back of his back from Jim the Anvil Neidhart Foundation and the Dynamo <laughs> Kelly. Ian, how you doing? I'm coming for you, lads. <laughs> good, 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 good. Have it no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, thanks. I actually got a couple of messages from random people after that. I mean, you're right. So uh, I am I am good. Had a bit of a... Uh, all wrestling injuries basically coming back to say hello. And uh, and I'm all right. You know, as the Beatles said, you say goodbye, I say hello. Um, so hopefully it stays like that. Glad to be back, lads. Good to have you back. Good, good. Well, tonight we have a, a special episode where we're going to be taking a look back at the WWE, WCW and ECW Invasion and Alliance, um, which um, made for very interesting um, viewing, looking back at it. Um, I think the more I look back at it, the worse it got. But I'll, I'll leave that for the podcast. Um, so yeah. let's, let's get into this. Like, where, where, where do we begin with this? I mean... I think, I think there's only one place, actually, because I saw alumni and friend of the show, obviously, Finn Martin, actually posted something up today i seen on Facebook uh, regarding that night on, on, um, on I think it was Nitro, when, when he announced on Raw that he had bought over. Remember the famous Ric Flair promo? And at that time, he was using insider terminology that nobody understood what he was talking about. And he was, he was like, have you ever done this? Have you ever done this, Vince? Did you ever do that? Your father, your father voted me for be, to be the world champion, all this kind of stuff. And I think that's a great place to start because that, that that is the most famous. I mean, we can pretty much all remember where we were when that announcement came. And, and that was the days of, well, there was internet, but I mean, it, it wasn't for everybody. It was dial-up and it was mainly an American thing. We, we got our news in, in the dirt sheets and whatnot. Um, and that was, well, for me, from my own perspective, I suppose, um, that's that's where where it all begins for me. It, it, seeing Shane come out at the end of that Nitro and seeing Flair not have the confidence to even wrestle in a, you know, without a t-shirt on and whatnot. You could show that it, it showed the level of morale and confidence I think within that group at WCW at that time. And um, Vince he basically bought it for a halfpenny uh, to steal an Irish term and. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I suppose that that's where I would start. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's like you said. It's it's funny when you see that that that, that last WCW and, and 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 unfortunately, like you said, it was all the men who wore WCW as opposed to the the, the Bishop S Bishop esque NWO era. The fucking the looters and the money grabbers. It was the men who wore the spirit and spine of the sport in that particular company before Sting and Flair. Yeah. Yeah, before the, the 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 fucking all the you know the, the before the product was cheap with an awful lot of gimmicky uh, sensationalism. Yeah, and it was those men who were feeling the demise as opposed to the other men who were like, "Look, we'll just go earn money somewhere else." Whereas the men who put their lot in with 
Turner and WCW who felt it the worst. They felt it the most, and I suppose arguably in the end suffered the most. Mm-hmm. What they loved was gone, and they knew it was never going to be the same again, whereas the boys who rolled into Money Lou all knew full well that there was paydays coming for them anyway, regardless. But that's so it. I'm, I'm sure Niall's going to bring that up, like in terms of later, in terms of the difference with the, the WCW contracts and then the Time Warner contracts. You know what I mean? And that's kind of, I suppose, what Jay's alluding to as well. Like, to well, no, I didn't mean even from a business perspective. It's like you said, from the visages of, of the men on screen, there was men who felt it in the oh, heart yeah, the yeah, night yeah. when it was over. It was the men who loved it more. To, no, who, I, just, I just meant to say, like, that a lot of the Time Warner yeah, contract yeah. boys yeah, right. weren't, even, weren't even on the show. Do you know what I mean? No, no they didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think um and looking back, the overriding feeling I got of, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the overriding feeling I got of it looking back on it was that um you know he had a massive desire to buy WCW, but I don't think he put the plan in place accordingly. No when it landed. And I think no. that was um I think when I look back on it, you look at that situation as a it should have been a situation that should have propelled the business forward. And he probably should have made ten times more than what he made off it. Um, but <laughs> yes. true, but true. I think bad planning, um, you know, and fan disappointment on a collection of other things, it, it kind of fell flat on its face. But um, we kind of started like it comes in as you said. We start with Shane O in the ring and the name on the contract, McMahon, Shane McMahon, um, and then we're kind of we're kind of off and running in a kind of a. I would say a kind of a haphazard uh, way because you kind of get two big companies like this that come together um, and, and the secret would have been to keep them that way. But unfortunately, yes. due to the fact that he didn't land the, the programming slots that he wanted and various other things, it kind of had to gel and merge together. And it's kind of a situation where it's um, never the two should meet really, in terms of them. Um, it was yeah. a Vince. It was a Vince ego project initially, and we knew that, like Vince, we know that the one thing that Vince wanted from this because he always had the vision of the network, even from the the late eighties, early nineties, and he knew that he had that video library, and if he thought he could buy that video library for under two million, which is just absolutely insane, it's absurd, I mean, isn't it? Absolutely absurd. You know what I mean? Like cheaper than cheaper than some of these boys' contracts. You know what I mean? He would have got Sting and fucking Flair for two years on that money. Um, you know, I, th- I think Vince, the ego, and especially Vince was properly full of testosterone back then. You know, that was such a huge <laughs> victory for him. You know, and I think, um, I think that the, the that's that's where Vince really fell flat. I think in terms of he actually lost his own self and his, his uh, lost his own code in planning as to where he's usually pretty much spot on and on the ball. And I think, uh, I think Noel, you're actually. I think you've hit the nail on the head there that there was just literally no planning from a man that usually has a fucking year long plan in place and um, pretty much with everything he does. So, um, but I mean, at the time, if we can take our back, take ourselves back to that though. I mean, at the time as a fan, you were thinking, Oh my God, the po- possibilities were endless. Um, I think people were playing one of the Smackdowns at the time and you were able to, you know, they had all the bits and bobs in there where you could make all your... I think that was the one time where you were like, really fantasy book in here becomes reality. Like, I can put Sting into this game and Goldberg and, you know, whoever else. And, um, yeah, like, just, just fucking absolute... It just, I mean, I'm sure you're going to tell the story as we go, but, like, I mean, this, this could have been the greatest, greatest period 
or thing to happen to professional wrestling of all time. Unfortunately, it didn't. It could have propelled it forward in glory years for another 15 years at least. We wouldn't have had to Easy. suffer the fucking dregs and the death of a company which, which must be loved. I mean, any 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 company without competition is no company at all. You, you, you come to coast, and I mean, there's a word for it. They call it a ferric victory. When you lose more in victory than you had to begin with, like you won, yeah. but what did you win? At what cost? Like, and, and yeah. essentially, that's what it was. It was a ferric victory, and sad. But again, I think, um, I think looking yeah. back at it today as well, I got the feeling that, um, you know, not only did he work the WCW guys, because ultimately he just wanted to, you know, Smash it to bits, basically, a little bit, to be honest. But I think even I think he took it personally on that one, didn't he? He took yeah. it personally that he lost a few on that one. I think. Yeah, but I think I think even looking back at it, I got the feeling that he had sold a different scenario, even to Shane and to Steph who came in to do ECW. And I think they were kind of even sold down the garden path on it because I think they were sold yeah. on the basis that they were going to be separate shows and like separate entities that would feed in, and occasionally on pay per views you'd have kind of crossover. You know, sort of fan matches that fans want. You know, like your Sting versus Taker or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Um, but it just, you know, the one thing about it was when I looked at it, I felt that it sort of happened a year too early because I think in order to sort of solidify it and make it real, you know, as much as we kind of detest the kind of stuff that went on with the NWO and stuff like that, but you kind of needed those guys. You needed Flair. You needed the NWO, you needed Sting, yeah. you needed Goldberg. And, they had and, most certainly positioned themselves as a massive draw. There's no question, that's undeniable. Yeah, yeah because... They were moving think, merch. Yeah, because I think if you go back and look at it, I mean, the guys... Well, Austin was still wrestling at the time, wasn't it? Like, And that was yeah. like not about a year or two beforehand. I mean, the, the, the big dream act was the two baldy lads that were just the black pants <laughs> and the black boots. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... And I think, and I think once it was announced, the whole WCW thing, I think the fan base got really excited, and that's what their expectation was—that we yeah. were going to get Austin and Goldberg, and you know, Taker and Sting, Sting and Taker, yeah, you know, all these, you know, and you know, maybe the NWO versus DX or whatever it is, you know, what I mean, so all this fantasy booking, so people were going crazy. But I think the one thing you forgot as well is there is an element of the fan base there that was either purely WWE or WWF at the time and WCW. Yeah. And what happened is that WCW fan base tended to fall away very quickly because it just seemed... Southern as well, yeah. Yeah, but it's seen its, it's, seen its boys and, the, and the, the, you know, the workers that it revered just being kind of shat on and belittled. And, yeah, know, we it, lost. There's no bigger picture here. We just lost. What see, we love is gone. The problem is, and I'm sure Jay will agree with me on this, because I think we've had conversations on this before. We see now, and I, I know I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but we see now with NXT and with like, even when, even at that time when they had Ohio Valley and they had Florida Championship Wrestling as well, there was no reason that WCW couldn't have been its own brand at that time in any way, shape, or form. They had the network there. They had the TV license. They had the rights. They could have renegotiated. The, the infrastructure, the company was completely all there. It just had no TV Everything. slot. And listen, I mean, I mean, they could have they could have gone on a farewell tour the way rock and roll bands do. One last year in the arenas. Come see us. Come say goodbye. And that money would have fucking. It could have floated them. But he done his kids a disservice too, as Noel is saying. I mean, Shane at that particular time and Stephanie were being groomed to be the next that's exactly what Shane should have been given you are now in charge of this you're moving down to Atlanta whether you like it or not you're yeah. doing it and you're gonna fucking you're gonna enjoy it like I mean 
Vin, this one, this one, unfortunately, is totally on the old man. We're one hundred million. Yeah. I tell you, I tell you how it was. I, I felt this week. Um, I felt kind of saddened by wrestling this week, going back through the invasion thing and looking Me at too. it and all the missed yeah. opportunities. And you know something yeah. funny thing the way history repeats itself. The last time I felt this way was when we had Sting and Hunter at WrestleMania, and they were yeah. just and it was the same shitty, nasty, belittling type of feeling that Ridiculous. I got then as well. You know what I mean? And I just thought like those. And you know you got to remember, like they had some great bona fide stars. They had a great cruiserweight division. They, there yes. was a lot of really good positive stuff in there that could have yeah. been utilized, even if it was getting absorbed into a single length. Could have been well utilized. You know. Can I mean? we go? Can we go to the first match that we had on Raw the following week, where we had Buff Bagwell, that famous Buff Bagwell Booker T match? Yeah. I've went back and I've watched that three times this week. Believe it or not, three fucking times. I should have watched it five times, five times, five times for my man Booker. But uh, I gave him three, right? And I have to say, I watched the match back and, I've, you know, everyone knows the narrative around it. And Noel, I'm sure you'll be able to kind of put some narrative around it for people that don't know what we're talking about. But essentially, do you want to, do you want to start with that, Noel, actually? No, and no, then, far away, go on. You're, you're okay, on the there, okay. so far away. Yeah, so basically, just, just to give people a little bit of context on this, um, it was the first kind of WCW match on Raw where these two boys, you know, were going to wrestle. I mean, Buck Bagwell, I, I, look, he was a hokey, bit of a jabroni type character, but at the same time, he had his place. And he was, in my opinion, sometimes a little bit of an underrated worker. I watched his work from the early 90s as a young stud rookie. And uh, he, he could work, in fairness. And, and like, he was definitely the goofball. And could. He wasn't real charisma. Which is no, important. He definitely, he definitely wasn't without charisma. He had a fucking amazing body. He had the, the hat and the gimmick that he came out with and all the thought he looked great. Hanging around with Steiner as well, you know, back in the in the in the late nineties didn't uh, didn't hurt him in any way, shape, or form. And he was in there with Booker T. So basically essentially what happened there was that WWE had taken on some of the contracts, but took on the lesser contracts. So this was penny pinching on Vince. Again, another issue that Vince had in this period, in my opinion because they had the money there and the potential fucking return was just astronomical if they'd have bought out some of these Time Warner contracts. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. The match itself, um, one was kept and it was it was Booker T. And basically, Buck Bagwell was told the next week in Raw that he had no future at the company and, and told by Jim Ross. And I think Jim Ross done it in a bit of an underhanded way too. Like, you know, well, could have done it in a nicer way. Um, not that I have any issues with Jim Ross, but I don't think his, his management style on this particular occasion was good. And I watched the match back. It wasn't that bad. Do you know what I mean? It was a lot better than watching Naked Midian. And it was a lot better than watching fucking, <laughs> you know, some of these guys, you know, it was much better than watching Dale Wilkes fucking wrestle some random lad too as the Patriot or whatever. It was a decent match. Like it was not as bad as it was portrayed. And I think they needed a scapegoat. And I think, you know, for whatever, whatever Jim Ross had up his, uh, his ass about, about both Bagwell, just uh, he was, he was the first one to be made an example of when realistically both Bagwell was kind of a character that you do remember from watching in WCW. You know what I mean? It's not your top guy you think of, but it's a character and someone that stands out because of the body. And the, as Jay said, he yeah. had the bells and whistles. There was, there, was a, there, was, there was a value to him. 
I believe so. I believe so, 100%. And I think he should have been kept on. I don't think the match was as bad as people people say. They were working. This comes back to Vince McMahon. Ah, oh, they're not working on WWE style. Yeah. Well, well d- dude, I mean, they're coming from the South here where they're actually... So, they're working. They're actually working as wrestlers, the way they were taught. Well, you, could, you could almost say, and sorry for interrupting, you could almost say it was the birth of Vince working his own fans, as he has done yeah. for the last 20 years. He At some stage, yeah. he stopped working to work for us and start working us. Yeah. And and, 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 and and he's like, what, they want this to happen? We'll see about that. I was like, that's, no, that's not the way you run a company. No. That's no. like McDonald's whipping their fucking quarter pounders off the menu because people like them. Yep, uh, agreed. agreed. Forgive me, come in again. And, and the funny thing is, I, I remember listening to an interview with Buff Bagwell two weeks later. The the Raw that they had was booked to be in Atlanta. So he said, like, it was, and this is this is why Buff Bagwell is no fool. And I'm not the world's biggest Buff Bagwell fan by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, I'm fair. Um, and he said, look, can we not just hold this off till we do it in Atlanta? Because if we do it in Atlanta, boom, we're made. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's good for business. But no, Vince wasn't thinking about business at that time. As I said, Vince had a hard on because he bought the fucking company from Ted Turner. Because he won. Because <laughs> he won. But the thing is, did he really win? Because Ted Turner was still sitting on more money than Vince had. Like, you know what I mean? It was just the, the Time Warner merger uh, happened to, to kind of throw that out the window. But so again, it kind of comes, and, and this is going to be an narrative throughout the show. And as I said, I think it's Vince's biggest mistake in his whole uh, wrestling career, personally, um, with his handling of this situation. And I think that match is is case in point. It was like I'm going to punish guys just because I can, you know. And it yeah, showed it bully was... tact. It showed bully tactics from Vince. That yeah, you served against me in the war. You'll never be one of mine. Yeah, it was just bully boy tactics from Vince that I thought showed kind of not a very nice side to Vince, uh, which I know there's no, you know, I know there's no um, kind of brownie points for being a nice guy in business or anything like that. But at the same time, I think, uh, I just think his handling of that particular situation showed how this was going to go. It's, it's kind of ironic when you see as well now from this perspective, looking back at everything you just said, he, he did it's just the contradiction in, in terms that is Vince. The, you look at his fucking worship of Goldberg. He's almost like the hood ornament of, of a car that he told. He's like his Rolls Royce insignia. He has this fucking unbelievable love and respect and belief that Goldberg, a man who concusses himself before he's given the massive spotlight, is all that he's ever wanted from the whole company. And the rest is just disposable fodder. But you see, the funny thing is, though, Jay, he, uh, like, in Vince's mind, like, you know, I think he's quite an insane man. You have to be to be that successful. Um, He took Bill out of Goldberg, so therefore he's ours. We changed his music around a little bit, therefore he's ours. Oh, we made him wear biker shorts instead of shorts when he first came in, therefore he's ours. Vince actually thinks like this. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I've made those little subtle changes to Goldberg. Now he's my creation. No, <laughs> he's the worst creation ever, other than the fact that he looks great because he's a fucking hazard to wrestlers. Botch, Not to botch wrestling. Old, yeah, botch Oldberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he nearly, he, he, Jesus Christ, when you think about it, he, he he killed one of Vince's fucking projects in Brett, and then he, and he nearly killed Vince's greatest project in, in Taker. So um, I agree with you. That's a very good point. Yeah, I think it was... Um... 
it was symptomatic really of the narrative being pushed out there straight away. I mean, we hear the stories as well of how unwelcoming the locker room was as well and all these kind of things and how they were, you know, belittled in real life apart from the yeah. wrestling business, you know what I mean? Like these guys were made feel awful. And, and the problem that you had there as well is a lot of these guys, you know, not to excuse the pun, but they were mid-card guys as well. So they wouldn't yeah. be used to be going up against a locker room there that's like, you know, maybe Austin and Taker and guys like this, you know what I mean? These these guys, you know, would have had that sort of barrier of sort of Sting and Hogan and Flair um, originally in their WCW locker room. And Hall know, and Nash, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but I mean, even so, in terms of, you know what I mean, in terms of stature of, of superstar, to be able to be kind of tapped on to the protection of that. Um, I'm sure they felt very exposed and very unwanted. And, you know what I mean? I suppose they, you know, they believed unless unless you were a really, really good worker and you needed to be there and you felt you could come through, you know what I mean? Like, I think you were looking at it going, this isn't for me. You know what I mean? How do we figure this out? You know what I mean? Like I've basically been brought up here to take a whipping that's been coming for the last eight to ten years or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Isn't it? Isn't it ironic that the egotistical maniac that is Scotty Steiner was probably one of the first ones to cop exactly how it was going to play out? I mean, he's not known for his foresight as a human, but he kind of seen it all coming early on. Like he's like, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever. <laughs> Yeah, he was no, like, I'm, I'm not working because he was the first one to talk about H. Because I mean, this was this was at the height of H's politics. You know what I mean? Probably not as probably not as fine or side, and he probably admit that now as an older man. You know what I mean? But uh, Steiner was like, I'm gonna actually box the head off this lad if I don't get out this. <laughs> and, and basically, Triple H wouldn't have had a fucking leg to stand on no. if they came into that. Yeah. You know. Literally wouldn't have had a leg to stand on. Well, Scotty would have just taken it out. And you know, to be perfectly honest with you, it wasn't too long before Triple H was walking down to the fucking ring wearing chainmail esque fucking garb in his intro either. Do you know what I mean? It was like, very true. Yeah. But um, makes that Cody Trance match not so bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I often um, I often do an analogy to it where I, I say, if you're going to run down that hill and brave it, brave heart. You better have William Wallace running down the hill with you. You know, very good. otherwise very it good doesn't point. work. You yeah. know, um, yeah, very good. You know, if you're Sean O'Hare, Lance Storm, Chuck Palumbo, and Chris Canyon, you're gonna have a problem. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and, maybe and, it'll be all right, lads. It's and, not going to be okay. Look at Scotty Steiner; he's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but 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 Scott Steiner kind of stood to the side. He was neither Alliance or he was neither Invasion. He was out there sailing on the wind on his own. And, you know, if anyone said that, they were getting upended. Yeah. And he had, done his, he had done his bit of time in the Fed as well back in the mid-90s. Yeah, too, and so it's like yeah he, he was familiar with a few of the men backstage and they all knew to give him a wide bird. It's like, that, don't, don't fuck with Scott. He's, he's an angry man. Also, don't ask him to do your maths homework. Yeah, I sort of... I sort of I sort of looked at it as well and I was thinking like, you know, you'd Booker T there and you'd um, DDP and they kind of lended a little bit of credence to the invasion. But then, well, except for, the, except for the DDP fucking gimmick. Yeah, but then but then remember, then the way they were both booked, they were just absolutely wiped out. You're right. They were optimistically willing to embrace their new future, <laughs> unbeknownst to them. <laughs> yeah, that, that it was very quickly they got an understanding of what was ahead. Um, yeah. Hey, Booker, you think Scotty's right? 
no man, Sky's never been right. Let's try this. It could be fun. <laughs> I just, I, I got a real good laugh today when I watched DDP getting pinned by Taker's missus. And I just thought, oh my God. Ex-missus and all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> doesn't yeah, even mean anything anymore. Can Peacock wash that one out yeah. for the travesty it is? Let's be <laughs> honest. Let's be honest. It didn't mean that then either. <laughs> Pinned by a divorce settlement. Yeah. I was going to say, I was like, there's actually, people are, Peacock are trying to like, you know, get rid of everything at the moment, as we know. It's like, well, let's forget about all the, you know, other stuff of Greg Valentine back in the day, you know, just, <laughs> just speaking from a Southern mind. Let's, um, let's take the real travesty out. TDP. <laughs> Positive yeah. getting fucking pinned. I'm a stalker it. now. You're a what now? <laughs> That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> Was there any wonder he found yoga wrestling? Wasn't you know what? I have, to, I have to shout out the DDP though, because when you think about it, like a man, and apparently even even back then, he he didn't get too down about it. They were saying like he literally is the most positive motherfucker on the planet. Like, oh. You know what I mean? Just. <laughs> I'm working for WWE. I'm on good money. Fuck it. You know? that's, that's his approach to life, isn't it? You want me to work with David Arquette? Sure, no problem. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. Jesus, Diamond. <laughs> he, knew, he knew that Hall of, ring, Hall of Fame ring was coming. <laughs> well, don't forget, like, DDP got into the business when he was my age now. You know yeah, what I mean? So yeah. anything was when he, when, he, when he wasn't driving Greg Valentine around in an open-top Cadillac. <laughs> talking, talking... Talking, uh, talking smack probably about, about certain cultural issues, I'm sure. Some some people would have a theory that he got out of the business pretty soon after that. <laughs> That's yeah. neither here nor there, you know. Um, yeah. So we kind, of, we kind of, as if the mix isn't bad enough and the WCW fans are pissed and exiting the building, if you like, um, we get down the road of the Alliance and we throw our ECW friends in and Paul Heyman. And Steph comes out, Steph of all people comes out as the leader of the ECW brand within the Alliance. <laughs> so now we have Shano, we have Steph, um, you know, who looks like she's still rocking the letters from the, the DX era when she was going up against the dad and siding with Triple H. And then we have Paul Heyman in there, who's just cracking like it. Um, yeah. And, and, and off we go then with the Alliance. So, um, Someone had an idea going, yeah, we'll throw the ECW guys in there. That'll prop it up if we're not getting these guys from Time Warner and AOL. Um, <laughs> that, that must have been a lovely meeting. What that, do you mean there's other contracts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what, what the hell would what? we want Goldberg and Sting in here when we have RVD and the Dudleys and Tommy Dreamer and all these <laughs> Yeah, I don't even think it was like that. I even think back then it was a case of Fuck off, Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> Just fuck off, will you? Yeah. No one I'm here you. too, guys. Fuck off. Who invited Dreamer? <laughs> yeah. So so then 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 um that doesn't kind of go with the plan either. Um and there's a bit of a disaster. So someone came up with the brainwave. We're gonna get the hottest guy in there at the moment at WWE, and we're gonna tell people that he defected, and off goes. Stone Cold Steve Austin to the Alliance, the most over guy in the business and the most revered man in the fan base. And you're going to try and sell the fan base the idea that he's just gone to the other side. 
Um, so that was kind of. <laughs> this is this is after his Hogan angle as well, isn't it? Too many Steve Wisers. It's like the three of them sat down and lost Steve Austin in a game of poker. Because <laughs> I mean, they tried to do they tried to do the double swerve that they done in nineteen ninety four with the Tonka and Lex Luger at SummerSlam ninety four. If you remember, they thought that it was Lex Luger that sold out to the million dollar man, but it was actually the Tonka in the end. Um, to which I actually too soon, too soon. To which I sent an angry letter to WWE at that time, which is very funny, very left wing of me. And I turned around and said, "Oh yeah, you make the Indian the bad guy. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> the Native American selling out on his own bloody people." But uh, that's I just thought that that reminded me of that because they done that with Austin because before that he was just Hogan, Vince McMahon, and him and him and Kurt Angle. I mean, I suppose they had some of the best uh, backstage. Well, funniest backstage promos with Jimmy Crackhorn and all that kind of stuff, and come by and you know <laughs> Vince would do that. Vince would do, or Austin would do that. Hogan, Vince, I do the tap, and the eyes would just be like, "I love you, man." <laughs> yeah, so it was just kind of like no one accepted that straight away. That was that that shit. No. That- that ship had sailed. No one accepted it ever. <laughs> well, in, fairness <laughs> to, in, in fairness to Steve as well, uh, he had run out of companies to work for after his mouth had run its, its course. So he was like, whatever you need me to do, WW, I'll do it because I already work for these guys. And, yeah. you know, one didn't have a shower and the other had a bunch of imbeciles at the top. So I'm, I'm on WW for life. I, I'll bleed Vince blood. Yep. <laughs> I'll do Definitely. what you want. Just don't make me go back. <laughs> yeah. So then we um we head off to um Survivor Series, which some people call was the death of the invasion and the alliance um that night. Um a very, very um strange pay-per-view where it was just like this is Vince at his absolute belittling nastiness. Um and the whole thing kind of went to pot. Um and then it was a case of trying to figure out, so where, where do we go? I have this whole clusterfuck of roster and people and talent under contract. What am I going to do? So he tries to recreate, in some respects, the Monday Night Wars internally and goes with the brand split. Um, and we start developing these things like drafts and stuff like that. You know, yeah, he was trying to do the draft lotteries and all, wasn't he? He was trying to cash in on the, the NFL and NBA and NHL and all, yeah. Yeah, but I think I think the, the, the big mistake he made when, when your competition gets cannibalized, it's impossible to recreate what went on in the past when people are clued in to what's unva- un- unraveling in front of their eyes. Um, and that really kind of sums up a lot of the, the invasion and the alliance and, and what went on. I had a look at some... You know, I looked at kind of, you know, I tried to pick out four or five good things and bad things that happened during that time because I tried to be a little bit positive. Even I have one. I have one. <laughs> yeah, well, go on, go on, shoot your one then. Give me your one. <clears throat> I think Chris Jericho came out on top in the whole invasion angle um, because we knew Kurt Angle was kind of already there as one of the top guys. And I think at that time, Chris Jericho was a guy that was kind of teetering on the brink. Um, and you were kind of like behind Jericho going, actually give this lad his moment now. Do you know what I mean? Because he does deserve, he can hang with the rock on promos. He can hang with a lot of these guys. 
given this fucking view and, and in fairness on the invasion pay-per-view the fact that they beat The Rock and Austin in one night as Jay so aptly put it one night in Dublin City Centre while he was getting stopped by uh, Jay's own security uh, he, do you know who he is? do you know who that man is? I don't give a fuck who he is he doesn't smoke on my bar yeah. I don't think he knows which country he's in it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that he's only five foot nine. the fact is he's about twice the width <laughs> and he's the first ever undisputed champion. So, I mean, I thought that was a very, very cool um, scene. For me as a wrestling fan, and I suppose as a Chris Jericho fan, I'll always remember, you know, holding the, the chair and the... and the, Well, the first one was the chair and the belt when he beat The Rock for his first WCW one, which was great. But for him, I, I think we all believed at that time watching it, because it wasn't a time where you could really call it, you know, you thought, right, the Rock angle or Austin are winning, Jericho isn't. And then when you saw Jericho go into the final one, with I think it was The Rock, wasn't it? Or was it yeah. Austin? Was it, was, it was The Rock. Yeah. 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 You were kind of going, okay, like this is set up for The Rock to win now. But no, Jericho getting getting the getting the, the victory there, I thought that was something very positive. And <clears throat> I think, um, again, Fucking Triple H it was the only the only thing that ruined Jericho's uh, undisputed championship run, you know. Um, Another case of the boss putting the money on the right horse for all of his inane and insane fucking decisions. He knows when he sees it. He knows when there's a sure money thing, and it was Aunt Jericho had proved after they put all of the fucking gold around them. It was the right horse to bet on. Yeah, just the wrong decisions going into me. Just that was, yeah. Yeah, we can all agree on that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And look, like I say, I'm not being bad on Triple H. I like him now. It's just... He was a different, he was a different human back then. He was yeah, an asshole. Not, not he was drunk on his own bullshit. Not a nice person back then, yeah. It's, it's, in, it's interesting when you look back then and you think even when we spoke about the narrative of Vince and all, even his push to even try and belittle the big gold belt in the way it was getting booked. I mean, there was one where it was won and then it was yeah. it was dropped again yeah. the following week at all. And you think about the history of the belt and how, like, you know, for years it stayed on people through the NWA era and all and stuff like that. And all. It was just that. They, gave it to C- they gave it to CM Punk because they thought it wouldn't be a big deal. Do you know what I mean? Like, everyone got excited when Punk won at that time at the Money in the Bank. Yeah. And it was like, no, like, or he beat Ed, sorry, for it when, when, when he cashed in his Money in the cashed Bank. In, yeah. And... It was like, oh, yeah, this, this fucking loser. What's he ever going to do in WWE? Oh, guess what, Vince? It's another person that you didn't bet on, that Triple H told you not to go with. And guess what he's had to do? Probably making you most money since Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He went and got fucking over, didn't he? <laughs> Are we sure Triple H is the right man for the job or has he actually calmed down? But again, there's another thing as well. There's another thing. Look, I know in in, in recent times, again, this is just a side note, a caveat on this conversation. It's ironic that uh, the word prop is thrown around so often, but there's nothing you can do to diminish the lineage of something so fucking stunningly beautiful. Like, you've got to put that belt around the bleeding Brooklyn Brawler and it still hold the weight itself. I'd agree with that. It doesn't matter. You can't erase history and you can't undo its prestige. I think, I think it along with the with the winged eagle and the ten pounds, they are the three most beautiful girls. Oh, that's what I think of when I think of wrestling, you know. 
Well, you know what? You're going to be shocked. I'm going to, I'm going to I'll, I'll, I'll surprise you now. I don't have the winged eagle anywhere near me top three. If I was to say top okay. three belts in the history of the business of all time, I'd say big gold. Yeah, listen, wherever you go. I like that. I like where, that. It I is. So. It's, yeah. it's stunning. Yeah. Wherever you go at the end of this life, whether it be Valhalla Hell or wherever, Whoever you have to kneel in front of is going to be wearing that strap. And, that's and a, quick, end of a it. quick segue, Jay. Like, you guys remember from reading the, the mags back in the day, like, a lot of people weren't into it. You know what I mean? A lot of people were... I, I, I'll I was, never get that. I'll, I think maybe there was a transitionary period where it took the world a, a time to catch up with how beautiful Big Goal was. Because, again, like yeah. you said, my number two, the 10 pounds, is yeah. it's a stunning belt. It is. Two. Yeah. It's it's the anvil that wrestling was forged on, and to go from you know an NWA belt into a fucking a new creation, which was ornate, beautiful. It looked like something Elvis used to wear on the shitter. I mean, physically speaking, that belt yeah. is resplendent. It's the Sistine Chapel of our of, of metallic artwork on, on in this business. It's 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 a lot of people would have held. Look, the old wrestling fans before the internet, before we were so quick to develop and understand and appreciate new new changes, there's legacy and, and, and legacy is an anchor and people don't like change. And it, it was a stunning belt. It was, there was nothing like it before and nothing like it since. In the history of belts, I don't believe that there's ever been a, a step up. Like, just from a, a visual perspective, like, it's fucking gorgeous, like... But again, ten pounds is a very understated belt. It's a very simplistic time and place belt. It's a sixties and seventies thing. It's a, it's almost relic like to see it to see it worn again now with such prestige is beautiful. It just it's like it's like it, it, it's image haunts pro wrestling. It's never going away. It'll always be a specter in the background doing something and elevating men to the next level and personal private companies of belts. I mean, but. If you get to wear ten pounds around your waist, you're something special. Regardless, even still to this day, like, and for me, it's not the wing. The well, shopkeeper, go on. Do do me a favor, shopkeeper. Uh, take take our first break after what I'm going to say here, in, in in response to that, because I do like that. Take our first pause for the cause. In in response to what Jay said, and I agree with everything he said, absolutely everything. But in response to one thing that he said was, it was the anvil of it. It wasn't the anvil to the tag team. That he's so that he's so permissibly pushed on me last week while I was laid out on my back. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hottest tag in the business, baby. And I was just speaking for a voice that seldom heard. I love it. Hey, you're not gonna you're not you're, you're not gonna you're not you're never gonna hear a bad word about the anvil from me. Either. No man, no man, well, but you don't hear that. enough words about him, and that's what last week was about. His Damn time true. to shine. A little spotlight on the ginger lunatic. You know what I mean? The original fringe. <laughs> yeah. a, man, a man who can bench 500 fucking pounds deserves that fucking... <laughs> <laughs> he probably drink 500 pounds as well. Fucking legend. <laughs> yeah. We, we very quickly recognised the easy target on last week's show. So with that, <laughs> we'll, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back again shortly. <laughs> Welcome back to the Three Pod Men. And before the break, lads, we were talking about the significance of the big gold and the ten pounds. Um, and Jay, you wanted you wanted to expand a little bit on that again. You wanted to talk. Oh about- yeah, Jesus! My, but this just this, this, this is a little interesting caveat. My, my Ian, you brought up the the winged eagle. 
Yeah. I, I think, honestly, my, my favourite wrestling belt of all time, again, it's probably because of the, the time when I grew, grew up watching the sport, and I still call it a sport, is probably the OEC. The, the 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 champs champ like you know what I mean the the workers belt not a bad show you know not a bad yeah. show yeah. 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 not a bad show yeah yeah, yeah look no. I'd agree I'd agree with that I I think I love the winged eagle as well just purely because I suppose again Jay especially for for you and me like that would have been our time growing up that was our you know I mean that was our belt well yeah. I I grew, I grew to be frustrated with obviously for obvious reasons. Sure, but, sure, yeah, yeah, but I think no, I mean, you're not going to get an argument from me with the, uh, the IC belt. <laughs> I mean, I thought even when they brought the European belt in the late 90s, and I thought it was still a beautiful belt. Yeah, um, I think, um, I think the different versions of the winged Red eagle, um, parks. there was a couple of different versions of the winged eagle. Jay, you, you were talking about one. Um, oh god the dual plated yes yeah, stunning stunning that's an exception that's a caveat to a caveat to a caveat the gold the gold with the silver um, that macho held um, yes was yeah, a beautiful yeah, yeah. version of it and for the OC the OC no, one no no the, um, the uh, winged eagle the winged eagle had a dual plated version of it, macho it did it. it did and so did so did the OC actually remember we had the red in the WWF and red mm. on the plates as well and on the, on the top plate too yeah yeah yeah, I think my, my favourite version nice of the belt. Winged Eagle, though, was the one that Sean won in Montreal. That was a beautiful belt. <laughs> it was a stunning just, belt. Just was it? And it, it has never held as much gravity and weight as that in the, in the sport. <laughs> well, that's, that's called... that. Um, unfortunately, guys, you called it a sport, and unfortunately, that's the one night that it wasn't a sport. So. Oh, oh, oh. VAR um, was in play, was it? VAR was in play. <laughs> Listen, listen. With the with the level of corruption in sport at the moment, that was all sport. <laughs> the last well, listen, you know what? How many how many lads get to say they knocked out their boss? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, I I take that victory. Well, I mean, <laughs> most men have worked in the bar trade. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, true, true enough. Yeah, true so enough. let's um let's let's segue back <laughs> to the um, to the actual podcast and let's have a chat. Um, looking back on the alliance and the invasion, um, anything stand out to you, men, in terms of positivity that came out? Well, we went with Jericho, yeah. I, I actually wanted to ask you your thoughts on that, actually, lads, because I know you two boys are big, um, big Jericho holics. So, it, you know, I think I just thought that, that that was the main positive to come out of it in terms of a new star emerging. Yeah, I think I think if you go back to the start, obviously the blockbuster announcement. Was, was fantastic. But then obviously it failed to deliver. But I thought that whole announcement and, you know, with Vince there and Shane, you know, down in Panama City in Florida and the whole, the name on the contract. Living it up, I'd say. Yeah, but I thought I thought that was brilliant the way they did that. And it did give you that feeling that they were going to set out the stall as kind of two organisations within one with the father and son battling against each other. And unfortunately, yeah. it's kind of not really what we got. The other thing I thought that, that came out of it that was positive, I think the Cruiserweight division, um, I thought, um, got a decent... They tapped in. Out. Yeah, they tapped in on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. those boys found their place. And obviously, I think Ric Flair coming in as well. I think when Ric Flair did... But we, we mentioned that, though, on this podcast before. That that's one thing that... say, And we are going to be doing an episode, I think, next week on Eric Bischoff anyway. Um, now that he's announced into the Hall of Fame, so that'll be an interesting one, and we can speak more in depth about the cruiserweight division on that because you know the world owes fucking uh, Eric Bischoff a, a ton of credit for that. Like at the end of the day, credit yeah. where it's due. 
Well, yeah. I, I have one actually, Noel. Um, when Vince is starting to go a bit fucking loony on on the you know on the show, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm gonna kill my own creation, me in the NWO," and he turns around and he has the NWO in the back of the chair. That is one time I marked out because that's when I went right. There's no way he can have the NWO without three boys at least. It has to be Hogan, it has to be Hall, and it has to be Nash. Or, or, you know, but we knew at least Hogan was coming in, right? Surely when we saw it, as NWO Hogan. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and I know Jay would have no problem with that even, to be fair. No, I enjoy, I have to admit, look, I'm weak for the NWO Hogan. I think he, he finally... He finally grew into the person he was for years when he there was telling us to train in the present appointments, but cheating exactly. away continually exactly. for fucking 10 years to the top. I'm like, now, now, you now can you're be, honest. Now you can be entertained by it. Exactly. Like, so <laughs> I think for me, that was a huge standout moment because that was when we got some elements of the real WCW. Yeah. yeah. I, I, be I, be I, yourself, I, Hogan. <laughs> I, I think the fear at the time with the way it had all gone down with the contracts and all stuff like that, the fear was that we were going to get the likes of Conan coming in or something. The oh. end of the and it was just going to go down again. Like, I'd have, t- I'd have taken Kurt Hennig coming in with fucking Vincent. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I could have dealt with that. Vincent selling his VHSs at the side of a train every now and then. Wouldn't it really fucking appeal to me? But I wouldn't have been against it. But yeah. then... When we actually got the three boys, well, no, we got two and a bleeding alcoholic, but uh, that's what we got in the end. Um, fuck you, Scott Hall. Yeah. The, oh, one, the, the, the one thing. Oh, although we... I'd love to drink with the man, to be fair. I love you, Scott. <laughs> so long as he's paying. The oh, one... Not anymore. Unlikely now. Do you want to drink, Scott? Yeah, have a drink. <laughs> no. Still this yoga. <laughs> um, the the one the one thing that did come out of it that I really liked, and you know we have a, a love affection here for Kurt Angle on this podcast. Yes, we got the Milko Mania, <laughs> which I thought was just amazing, and it was just one of those iconic awesome. moments that we all visit. There's suppose, a figure made out of that now and everything. Like I mean, that's that's how you know it's iconic when that happens. Whole place, um, whole place. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose that. You know, if we look at highlight some of the bad things, I mean, we alluded to some of them already. I mean, clearly, there was too many titles and too many belts floating around. Um, I think um, the whole DDP versus Undertaker thing was just disastrous. It was um, fucking distasteful. Like, it was just <laughs> weird. Very much so, Jay. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously, we spoke about it already, but trying to convince us of Austin back for the other side was a bit of a stretch, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, yeah. We tried working we, for them, and it didn't work then. Now we're well, we mentioned, believe we mentioned, he wants to work for them again. <laughs> we mentioned the NWO, and we got one of the greatest main events that wasn't a main event in, in the history of WrestleMania, though, of course. Yeah. Um, like, actual working. Actual working, and the old soldier... Yeah, basically giving the rub to the fucking to the future which was obviously Hogan and The Rock I mean I've watched that match back I've watched it with Jim Cornette commentary um, I've watched it in my own time again good lord that is just as the Warrior Hogan was one of the greatest Wrestlemania matches of all time and again not a whole huge amount of bumps 
fair enough, the rock is in his fucking spring chicken day, so he can bump like a motherfucker, of course. He can sell that fucking big boot and do his double flip afterwards or whatever. Not as bad as Michael's, but uh, not far you know, off. It's, <laughs> yeah, not far off it. But speaks well of the Rock as a person as well that he was business above everything yes, else and still yes. is to this day. I mean, he took a match other men didn't want and made a, a career highlight out of it. But that's it. Like I mean, like we can we can give Austin all the props, and you're not going to find many bigger Stone Cold Steve Austin fans than me. But like Stone Cold's ego at that time was still so big. Well, I'm not losing to Hogan, and Hogan's going well. If he's not losing to me, then I'm not losing to him. But Hogan showed that he was willing to to do the job in this particular piece of business. Mm-hmm. I think no, but in fair is fair, Jay. I think he would have done the. I think he would have done the job for Austin too if if the story was right because he'd done it for The Rock why wouldn't he do it for Austin you know what I mean they're both they're, they're both yeah in. listen you never know with Terry you just never know you don't, I mean, you don't. I'd agree with you there I would 100% agree with you there but I also think Austin probably didn't make the best case for himself too because there was a bit of beef there and Austin was probably melty yeah, about but history, you know history, I mean? it, but history also says that maybe in Austin's respect Austin wasn't wrong for Terry to maybe, look at a man like, for yeah. Terry to run, look at a man like Austin as, as over as he was he was still a guy who walked out and, you know, shit all over fucking WCW because they didn't know what they had in him and he had to go to WW to ascend, so to speak. And they already had Sean and Sean had been proven time and time again who he was and what he was. And, you know, that don't work for me, brother. We were supposed to get three and we only got one. And the reason that Sean gave fucking hot dog another career highlight is because okay you want 97 Sean you can well, so go him. back go back to um go back to um uh, was it was it Austin that done the Bret Hart uh, Hall of Fame induction and the two of them basically blanked yeah. Terry they just refused to shake his hand as he walked by same thing as Jay just said like you're talking about Brett and Michaels probably the two greatest to ever do it um, same thing happened to Brett in '92. Oh, yeah, no. but yeah, but the, but there's legacy lineage. I mean, yeah. the, the 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 job that fucking Brett did with Austin put both of them over so hard. It lent a, a, an essence of credibility and realism to the sport. Whereas Hogan rolls in with his cartoon persona, and they're almost two different styles and genres that will well, not match. Well, let's let's look at it without getting into too much of that. Let's get into the actual match, though. In fairness, when we, when we talk about the match itself. Again, this is like Hogan's mania moment, and Rock obviously, just like it was with Warrior and uh, and Hogan, and the fact that it's in the same building, you're like, shit! I got to see the next day. I got to see the first one with the Warrior the next day on VHS because I'm too young to fucking, you know, to watch it. And I got to watch it, and it mm. felt like I was watching it live. But this one, I get to watch live, and good lord. The electricity created from that. I mean, that, that to be honest with you guys, that 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 can be a podcast in itself. That whole match, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was an apex. It was a, an apex moment in professional absolutely. wrestling globally. You, yeah, you could educate, you could educate lads. It's anniversary coming up next week, ironically enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we could we, we could sit here and educate lads and girls on on getting your shit in. I guarantee you, nothing that Kenny Omega and the Rainmaker done will ever create that electricity that was done with looks that was called on the fly at that time. And in fairness, that was Terry's fucking call. Look to the side, look to the other side. And The Rock said it, he goes, when I was in there, that's when I realised how to be a star. Do you know what I mean? 
and how yeah. to get over with the crowd without doing anything. And, and I think that's another good thing to come out of it, Noel, to answer your question yeah. along with think... that's 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 phenomenal. And we got yeah. to see Austin and uh, and a drunk Scott Hall. I believe Scott Hall was drunk that night, wasn't he? Austin <laughs> said he didn't appreciate wrestling that night because was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think when you look back at that match and you see the intensity of the crowd and everyone on their feet and there's just flashlights going off <coughs> and everything is just exploding and it's as you said, the electricity in the building was unbelievable in terms of that. that it came of, through the telly, didn't it? It came through the telly. Yeah, and you you know, not only that, you, you obviously had a crowd there that would have been a staunch, you know, you would have had your WCW crowd there, your lifers and all that were there holding on to that moment trying to you know, and then you would have had Rock there as well, and, and and you know that WWE crowd there as well, and it was kind of you nearly got the feeling within the audience there when you were watching it that the audience were nearly you know one side against the other kind of thing. You know? But not really, Noel. When you go back and watch that, right? As I said, I watched it a couple of times on different on different narratives. It started out as a rock crowd, and then all of a sudden the kids that grew up with their fathers probably loving Hogan or their brothers loving Hogan, yeah. it turned because Hogan's kind of. The psychology, home. The psychology home. exactly the psychology within that match was unbelievable because then Hogan gave the rock the robe again, and then they get into the rock, and now they're split by the end of it. There's three stages of that match. And in wrestling, pretty much you want the two stages. You want fucking one being people know who the heel are, people know who the babyface are, and that's it. And you know. It's very, very difficult to create that third stage where you can turn them because that's psychology. That's literally what you're doing with looks, with moves, with feeling sympathy, with garnering sympathy from... It's from the build of tension. Exactly. It's over, under, under, over. It's, there's nothing exactly. complicated about masterful wrestling. Nothing, nothing. It's, it's, it's more than move. This, this, this is the problem with the contemporary uh, the, the, the product. People seem to think that we watch it because of moves. Anybody yes. can do moves. If you, I could take five professional dancers, give them to a, 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 a quality instructor, and like in two two nights, I'd say two days of training, I could orchestrate an amazing move film match. I mean, this this is not what pro wrestling is about. It's storytelling. Primary the, the the primary subject, the primary source of entertainment for pro wrestling is to tell a story. You're, te- you're, you're compressing a, an hour and a half of a motion picture, a, a movie, yeah. into 20 to 40 minutes. Now, look, I know the man's weaknesses. Everybody does his limitations. And we spoke about one of the, the earliest apex of professional wrestling globally is Warrior Hogan. It had fucking nothing to do with moves. It nope. was telling a story. Yeah, It was the passing of a torch. And regardless of whether or not how I feel about Hulk Hogan, that couldn't happen with any other man in the ring. Yeah. And it's the same with Hogan, with, with, with The Rock and Hogan. Whether we like it or not, he might have been off in the abyss or off in Hollywood or coming and going, but he spent a long time away from where he was home. And it was one man who made him. And on that night, he came home. It yeah. was a prodigal son who returned. And that's, that's, that's the perfect way of looking at it. And like the sympathy garnered at the end with Hogan holding the ribs, because I think he legit busted his rib that night, didn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and with him, you'll never know. <laughs> and no, I, I, be- I, believe, I believe it was true. Well, I think it was true on this night because that's when they had proper trainers. Like it wasn't the old school Hogan era where I got a bad back problem. Well, if it's at like the car case, Hulk Hogan probably busted his ribs, but Terry Bollea didn't. 
Well, I'm gonna say, fuck, I'm gonna say, fuck Bubba the Love Sponge. Size matters. Fuck Bubba the Love Sponge. I hope Bubba the Love Sponge is sitting as miserable somewhere in fucking Florida as he possibly can. I'm alright with him. Or as, or as the Iron Sheik calls him, Bubba Lover the Sponge. Fuck you, motherfucker. Bubba Lover the Sponge. Uh, listen, he got the truth out of Hogan. <laughs> Hand on the Bible, whether or not, you know, so his matters. And that's, apparently that's, that's, the judicial system of America. Yeah, we, all, we all know Hogan's not a racist, unfortunately. That's, that's, that's nothing to do with racism. I'm talking about him putting his hand on his Bible and talking about his 10-inch dong. <laughs> I mean, well, he definitely had a 10 inch dong for anyone who wants to see Hulk it. somewhere else. Yeah, Hogan has. Yeah, Terry not Bowling the sheik. Don't. Not the sheik. <laughs> you probably missed that bit of his car case, did you? I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it, let's it, just it, say it, he was well, made to tell the truth. Yeah, yeah. Major Taylor, for all the American was... fans out there, Hulk Hogan actually won that car case. So let's just. Uh, did we, he? We, we Another Furick victory. We, we played he, the he fifth on this one. Man, Jay has been muted here. Don't listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna get us in trouble. <laughs> Do you know what we're talking about? Yeah, I, I'm talking about the one where the man had a geo penis, and the one wrapped in red and yellow was ten inches, <laughs> and the other one was only about six. <laughs> well, he says, Ian, it came out during the car case, and he had to put his hand on the Bible and swear, and they asked him about his manhood and how he used to boast in, in the past about how Hulk Hogan was huge. And in the courtroom, in front of the world, in front of the Lord, he had to explain that it was all kayfabe, and that, you know, Hulk Hogan is hung, brother. Terrible ain't. <laughs> and, it, and it went as far as saying that Hulk Hogan and Terry Belair are not the same person. They're not the same person. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Yes. Have, have you not watched? Have you not watched Nobody Speaks? Man, no, go, I, go. Need, I need to watch oh, this. Man, watch watch it. Nobody it was the death Speaks. of Kayfabe. <laughs> I need to watch it. It was the I'm death of a lot of Oh man, absolutely! And then you, you'll hit us up later. I laugh, and it was incredible to watch. Let's um, just say when he when he got off the stand, his lawyer was was a. Uh, let's just say uh, they had a different. Now you better keep telling me the actual truth and not this Hulk Hogan Terry Bollea shit because I can't defend you if you're going to keep lying about your manhood and then confess on the stand. So what? So what was it? So basically, Hulk Hogan. Well, I mean, Hulk Hogan didn't come out on TV and tell people that he had a fucking 10 inch dong. But on the stand, he had to confess that he did. Well, I, I, well, I, I've never heard him say that to me. I don't know what it is. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> let me tell you something, little 46 inch pythons. It was, it, was, it was one of those moments when I thought about Jay and Jay going, I knew it all along. I knew it all along. What was I telling you? <laughs> what did I tell you since 1985? You wouldn't let's, listen. Let's, let's get back to the match. <laughs> Talking about Hulk Hogan's not. Yeah. Things I definitely didn't believe. Hogan, Hogan talked about it. We didn't. It's awesome. we no, I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's like you it was wrote into state's there, evidence. Somebody had to sit there typing this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> You're soiling a 36-year-old man's fucking child, but I love it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like this, this is this is official evidence in a, in a judicial procedure. We're not making this up. This isn't slander or, accus or accusation. Hogan had to take the stand and confess to having a little dick. <laughs> well, I saw the video, although he probably is a big man, so therefore... 
you know. I didn't see the video. I wouldn't go that far. Oh, I got sent a video from a mutual wow, friend okay. of ours, Jason. That's weird. Mutual, <laughs> well, the weirdest thing is that you live with him. <laughs> anyway, let's move right along. <laughs> Consider yourself evicted. <laughs> parts unknown. <laughs> unknown parts. parts. Unknown, <laughs> yeah, unknown, unknown parts. parts. Unknown surprises. <laughs> anyway, we <laughs> Right. Let's um let's once again bring it back to the podcast. Where um, are we? Let, let's... Oh, yeah, the ten pounds of gold. <laughs> now we've moved on from that. <laughs> ten pounds um, of balls, yeah. <laughs> it was only six pounds. Ten pounds of sperm. Two and a half pounds of lie, brother. <laughs> let's let's what let's did you say? To, um... <laughs> let's get into some of the hot topics that we selected for this week and our hot topic section now that we now do. Um, <laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please, uh, Ian, would have never let, Ian would have never let this go for our host. I'm just saying that. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the first one out here. You know it. Paul White uh, came out and said his um, treatment on the Raw Legends Night was the last straw for him in WWE. Okay. And I think I think he was talking about that legends night in which um you know the guys get, the guys gathered in the ring and he was left sitting on the ramp basically. Um and he wasn't too happy about that. And he said that was really the moment where he knew between himself and WWE it was done. Um, I have something to add to that. Yeah, go ahead. Straight away. When HR came into wrestling, that was the end of it all. Um, as soon as Paul White knew that, um, all right, that, that sounds a little bit baby for me for a lad in seven foot and like never had a problem before ever or complained, but then knew that there was competition that was willing to pay X amount of money. That sounds like a bit of a cop out to me that it's like, okay, it's also not true. Yeah, do you know what I mean? What the truth of him jumping ship to AEW is a few years back. He got into business with Ten Inch Hogan about the big show, does boxing. And he went in and signed a contract and he, he declared bankruptcy and he had to sell his gaff because he owes some fucking board from some production show about the big show gets into heavyweight boxing. And it was done via Hogan and that never panned out. And right now he is in a deficit financially and as a legend, and as a man who's limited in performance and also limited in crowd appeal, he can turn around to Vince and say, I need to earn two million in the next four years or unfucked. So what he did was fabricate. Point. Yes, he's fabricated an excuse as to why he had to jump to AEW. I'm sure he sat down with Vince and said, Vince, look, I owe this person a lot of money. And Vince said, well, I have to weigh up the options and I, I'd love to be able to hand you a shit fucking ton of money for the next But I'm not years. a bank. Yeah, but no, I don't yeah. have that. Yeah, I don't have that unless it's an investment. We're a publicly floated company now. And I think what he said was, well, there's this company down the road who's throwing fucking money. And I think I can earn some money out there. And I think Vince said, go get your financial situation. This is, similar to the, this is similar to your breath theory. I love it. <laughs> right? Go get your financial situation sorted, which he did. He sold his house. He's paid back a lot of that money. He's got a new job. 
he's walking around wearing an OBS t-shirt and nobody from inside the company has said, oh my God, the show is disgusted. Vince McMahon so unhappy about Big Show. He's taken the name that he's earned of Vince McMahon with good grace over a long time, considering he was an original WCW fucking Hogan gimmick. And now he's earning good money while he's still healthy. He's paid off his debts. He sold his house. He's living in a more reasonable financial situation. And good for him. He's done good business by his own name. Good for him. And I think Vince is looking at going, well, this isn't like the Jericho thing where I plowed money into him and let him strip all my champs of their belts. Shows down there earning money and getting himself out of financial debt. Good for you, son. You get up, you get off your hold, you reach for the brass wing, you're now earning. No problem. Come back to me in five years' time and there'll be a, there'll be a welcome for you. You can come home whenever you want. But I don't have to pay your bills and I don't have to pay your debts, so everybody wins. What's the next hot topic? I like that, actually. Uh, the I'm next hot topic was um, Alistair Black's continued absence from WWE TV. Um, oh, he's, he's gone. Yeah, well, it's kind of um, it's kind of a strange one, really, because this this is a guy who's a, a very, very good wrestler and also has a really, really good character. Um, and just, I, th- I think a lot of things have been unfolding there. I mean, I don't think he's been very happy since he came up to the main roster from NXT. Let's kill two birds with one stone on this one, Noel. Him and Andrade. Let's use both of that because I'm sure that that was one of the ones that you were going to. Yeah, and we, we we probably have to talk about Selena Vega as well because. All right, well let's let's kill three birds with yeah, one so, stone. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't happy with the way she exited the business. This um, is just this is purely Vince just suddenly one day not taking a shine to you because he didn't have a hand in creating you. It's he was big. He was high on Vega though, wasn't he? But yeah, but Vince can just suddenly turn, boom, that's it. I mean, we have to look at Vince these days and we look at him and we go, right, yeah, he's on the on the on the cover of muscle and fitness or whatever. But I mean the brain surely like the, the head is quite clearly gone a bit senile. Has to. Um I mean it's age, like that's not a knock on the on the old man. Do you know what I mean? In any way, shape, or form. But it's quite clear that he just doesn't like he's high on someone one week and then it's gone. That's mm. it. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, Finn Balor, he's injury prone. Fuck him. You know? It, well, well, look what he's doing now, boss. And like, this is the good work that Triple H is doing now. Going, look, dude, I've got this guy. He's great, Vince. You got to fucking give him a chance. Nah, he's not going to work. You know? It's like, I didn't create him anymore. And it's like Vince's... Because uh, they say that about people when they get older anyway. That they, they t- No, but they tend to go back to what they knew. Do you know what I mean? They're always stuck in their ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. They lean, on what, they lean on what got them to the show. Exactly. Stuck in their ways. I'm and, not sure. Like, I, I think... I think this. I don't this, know. I'm only spitballing. I'm not saying it as fast. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Does he? We're like conver- conversing. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm I think only with him... Like, if you were to write down on a blackboard... Yeah. Here's the company. We have maybe how would you how much what roster do they have over the over the three companies? And there is three, regardless of whether or not H thinks he owns and runs downstairs, it's still the boss man's fucking business. It's still his television, it's still his, his company, product. Yeah. It's his still company. his product at the end of the day. Now we say we've got maybe it's gotta be 150 or 200. Yeah, I think the number's in around 200. Oh yeah, like I mean, you could run, you could run about three hockey teams or basketball teams over, like do you know what I mean, easily. Yeah, so. I just um, you know, I find with Alistair Black, I just find it's one of those where it's like, I think 
if he was to go or if he does go, I, I could see him being a loss to the company because I think, you know, at a time where Undertaker has, you know, moved on and Kane has more or less moved on, these kind of darker characters, I think Alistair Black would be perfect to kind of slide into a similar role with that kind of dark character that he has. Well, without mentioning names, Noel, and I won't mention names um, purely out of respect, but without mentioning names, I do know a lot of people that know him personally. And apparently, um, you know, this this is a bombshell or a scoop or whatever you want to call it. Um, He's not too well liked by a lot of people. Um, He can have a little bit of an attitude problem. Um, And that's from good sources. So... I'm not saying I'm not. I'm, no, no, I'm, that's I'm fair not. enough. So it sounds to me like that's the issue there because it's and and that issue would make sense, right? Because you can't fault his work. No. So if it's an attitude problem, then you know, then we're getting somewhere. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. the The last hot topic I put in there was more to trigger about you guys in terms of thinking about. You know, Bad Bunny to face the Miz at WrestleMania. Um, and I got it even thinking a bit broader than that. Like, what, what's our feelings on celebrities stepping through the ropes? Uh, and these oh, I don't events? know if my internet's Do need, back, so I don't know if I can answer. speak. No, does, anyone, does anyone need my answer on that? Thank Jesus for that. But, but, <laughs> go on, give, give, give us your answer on it. What are you thinking? Fucking bullshit. That's my answer. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> Fucking bullshit. No, good motherfucker. You know I come here tonight. Now I know my internet has just come back. (laughs) Sorry, man. I had a bit of a cutout situation. I'm going to be honest, which is... Yeah, bollocks. She she rests in all our hearts. Come here to me. I think sooner or later we are going to get to a situation where they realize how much money is to be made off celebrities who want to double in the business. I see in two or three years down the line, a network show, celebrity wrestling. I think they're going to let men have a go inside and outside the ring. I mean, they're going to, the, the splinters coming in the future of professional I hope, wrestling. I hope they get all the injuries that we've had as well. I hope, I hope, I hope. Ian, you can't just throw on a tunic. You can't let like, like, in the military, you can't just throw on a general's uniform and pretend that you can lead armies. Exactly. This is bullshit. Exactly. Uh, like, Jay, for example, like you know I'm a big fucking Iron Maiden fan, right? I can't just go and suddenly go and, and replace Bruce Dickinson for a fucking a night. No, and we've seen it with Judas Priest. Ripper was a brilliant singer, but you, you can't just step into the boots you can't fill. You I can't. think... I think I think I see in not not now, but in the near future, I see. Look, we've got Snoop doing it. We've got this fucking cross pollination of, of celebrities. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Shaq, Snoop. There's obviously a market in America for reality. You know, wrestling with the stars job, and I I, I see it as separate. If uh, I hope they get it away from the men who fucking earned their spores the hard way. And put it over here, and we can watch it as this fucking circus three ring novelty act. You know what I mean? Fucking well, living think, la vida loca guy versus fucking ice cube what in about, a, what about the scoop? hell in a cell. Do you know? On that that you mentioned, Jay, what about the scoop that was actually kind of really fucking pushed from Triple H, Finn Balor, and Conor McGregor about fucking the the Finn Balor Conor McGregor thing? I thought that was quite interesting. Did you see that? 
No, I didn't see that. Uh, but Connor's definitely going over sooner or later. Well, it no was question. done. It was done on. A, oh yeah, well, yeah, but he 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 would actually. I think with, with all the faults and all the shit that Conor McGregor gets, he's a natural athlete, and he would also go into it respectfully to try and learn the craft. He also he loves the business. Yeah. Well, yeah, he loves the business. But the thing was, Fergal, um, oh Jesus, Cape hey, broken, broke the fourth wall there. I must be Deadpool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the um, there was a tweet put out about two or three weeks ago, and um. It was a it was the new line of toys that UFC have released, as me and Noel would definitely know, <laughs> with the with the figures, and it was a, a a figure of Finn and a figure of Connor, and it was in a wrestling ring in the WWE ring, and I think Fergal actually turned around and said, "Make it happen, boss," or something to Triple H, and Triple H went, "Whenever you want it," and Conor McGregor copped onto it, and he goes, "Let's make it happen." So uh, it's happening. It's it. You look- know, and I just thought that would be really cool. Imagine, like, fucking seeing, you know, for me, like, me seeing Coach fucking, even in that conversation, it's like, I salute you, sir. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of great to uh, great to see. But I thought that was a hot scoop. And, and it's still there for anyone to see if they want to go back. It's only about two weeks ago. It was on Instagram. It's on Connor's Instagram. And it's on, on Fergal. But this is, this is like what we were saying. We, we are, well... We often bring up regularly how that uh, the, the 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 company athletes not allowed being used Twitter as their personal fucking place. Social media is now where kayfabe lives. Yeah, this is where matches happen. This is where things happen, and then it, we're, we're we're slowly understanding why the boss said you aren't to be yourselves online. If this is now where we're going as a company, you got to be in character or get out, which is perfectly reasonable when you consider the the, the business they're in. But it's a hundred percent happening. There's a long legacy of, of of MMA stars who cross over to the sport, and I can't think of one of them who tremendously failed. Be it Severin Shamrock, I'm, I'm sure Don Froy probably did a little bit of fucking pro wrestling. He, he, the, the, Kurt Angle from the professional, from the grappling aspect of things. There's a these men are natural athletes. Wrestling is a step down from the the, the threshold of pain that they're used to being in. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that it's any less of a painful threshold. It's one thing to fight four times a year, and it's another thing to fight 250 fucking nights a year, traveling the world with no sleep and no family around you. It's a completely different source of pain. But once you get used and to and drunk of the spotlight and, and, and the applause, it's a natural evolution for some of these men. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, and it works. Yeah, I suppose as we spoke about before on it as well, with the evolution of these cinematic type matches and stuff like that as well, that's definitely going to lend itself to celebrities getting more and more involved. Can we talk, can we talk about that as well? Just, just, just in yes. Jay's, just yes. in, just in Jay's point there in terms of, um, you know, I, I, I think someone like a Finn Balor would be a perfect opportunity for someone like, um, for, for Conor McGregor to come into the ring with purely because of the athletic side of things. I think uh, they would be able to make a bit of a kayfabe MMA-looking thing and then Devitt getting them in some sort of... Well, he's the most legitimate snug worker the business has seen in the last... How many years? Since Brett It's not like he can't go. He's the most decorated man from this side of the world to come out of Japan. It's not like he can't go. I'm going to say it. He's, he's, he's the most snug, um, neat wrestler. I'm going to say neat. Uh, I use that word 
um, since since uh, Jim D'Ambo's partner. So um, here we go. Did Jim have a partner? No, he had somebody in the shadow, didn't he? Somebody used to wrestle he did, in the he shadow. Did, he did. He did top man. <laughs> the Jim D'Ambo. <laughs> <laughs> the Jim the Anvil Neuter Foundation. <laughs> um, no, no, but I, 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 concur, I concur with Jay 100%. I think, and, and the reason I said that is because it's the snugness that doesn't hurt people. You know what I mean? And I like Listen, it. even if they weren't from the same geographical region on the planet, and even if they weren't running under the same flag above their fucking corner, I would still pair them up regardless. I don't give a fuck where Finn is from. He could, yep. You know what? He could be from fucking London. I wouldn't give a fuck. Work no. speaks for itself. And he is he, exquisite. He lends legitimacy to what is seen as a fake sport. And Connor lends fake to what is seen as a legitimate sport. The marriage is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It's 100%. Now, let's get back to what Noel mentioned there. And this video. Cool. Bombshell tonight. Bullshit. I'm going to start off with it. I think it... Because I've I've actually had a couple of people text um, us and asked about what do we think about it. It's very fucking stupid. I think it's hokey. I think it's bollocks. I think it was. I think it was made initially for someone like Undertaker to be able to have that nice little kind of sign off with AJ Styles, which I appreciated because I think that was absolutely perfect and beautiful. I think it was beautiful. I think AJ was the right man for the dance. AJ is another person that would be perfect for Connor too in terms of that marriage because I've always seen AJ and, and Finn as as kind of very, very similar. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I think that was made for the big man to fucking go out on his own terms to ride off into the sunset on the bike with the arm up. And, and that, that was lovely. And it was lovely. And I fucking Considering the time and the terms, he didn't have the fucking crowds. He was hoarding. We had yeah. the documentary coming up. It was succinct. It was the cherry on the cake. It, it, the idea was made for him. Like it that was, man's brother was basically dying or dead that weekend, and yet he still fucking had to work. You know what I mean? And, and that's what people need to remember when they talk about the Undertaker. That man's commitment to to uh, this business is just absolutely fucking unquestionable. So never mind. He loves it. Yeah, exactly. But um. In terms of it being used as a thing, now that's where we fucking, that's where we have a conversation. Because Randy Orton, as you all know, is one of my fucking favorite wrestlers pretty much of all time. And especially of the I think, I think around here, around these parts, he is the last link and the last vestige to a territorial wrestler at the apex and the youth. He is the bridge to a bygone era. And we love Randy's work. Now, I know that the match of Fastlane wasn't necessarily a fucking... It wasn't necessarily a video thing, but it was a fucking work thing, as in to be a movie. Randy Orton versus a five-foot girl. and It was a prop match. It wasn't... And you know what? Like, fair enough, yeah. I, I, I do remember myself at the time. Anyone that knows me knows I'm a mad fucking horror fan. I was kind of like, ooh, I like this kind of stuff here. But then I was like, hang on, this doesn't belong in wrestling, though. What's what's going on here? Like, this is this is stupid. But when we look at AEW's version of it now, and we go back and we look at some, and I know we talked about this, but we look at like Sting and fucking Darby Allen, and it's just nonsense. It's just nonsense because, like, 
it, it, it kind of boils down to do you want to take like does Vince want to take the wrestling out of WWE because I mean he's such a strange character Vince because he hates the word wrestling yet like he's the biggest wrestling fan in the world he's obviously fucking mental you know what I mean that's that's what that's really what it boils down to Vince he's obviously mental in the head and it's like right well you know, you you saw the, the the famous quote, the best match you ever saw with Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask in, in in Madison Square Garden, and he went, "Oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen." Mm-hmm. Like, so so you know his love for the work is there, and I think Jay has alluded to that on a number of occasions over over these podcasts. But at the same time, from a business standpoint, he's like, "Oh well, we can't have too much of that either." And I'm like, "What what do you want?" Like, we can't have, like, I'd love someone to be able to kind of, I'd actually love to fucking say, if, if there was one dream that I had tomorrow, right, that someone could say, right, there's a genie in a bottle here, and you have three wishes, and you get to fucking talk to someone, blah, blah, blah. I would love to sit Vince down and ask him the questions that we all want to know. Right? But you that would that would be it because I know and I wouldn't do it in a disrespectful way because I mean he's the reason that we're wrestling fans like mm-hmm. real, you know he's the only man with a three a, a three part podcast that we did I mean absolutely. I don't think anybody else got three part and oh, book, book ended absolutely you know I want to come in I want to come in on you there Ian though right I have yeah, a question sure. for you right sure yeah have we not seen all the pieces of this come on before we were we're we're, we're accrediting this uh uh fucking the or gimmicks fucking the fiend right we were accrediting this to this no audience cinemagraphic style of pro wrestling but it's just after occurring to me when you said it there literally just live you, you, you. four years ago maybe three maybe four years ago a friend a very good friend of mine Leon Guilfoyle uh, shout out to Leon by the way fuck yeah shout out to Leon he massive horror fan massive massive horror fan married yeah. to a uh, a woman with a doctorate in horror. Yes, I bought him. I, I bought him a figure one time, right? And I think it was a, it was either Taker or Triple H, but it was one of those. Do you know, you know the way WWE has been selling on the shelf, a zombie kind of stuff. Yes, yes, yes. And that was long before the fucking televised no people arena. Yeah. It's almost like the building of a channel has happened, and they're putting shit on the shelf, like the He Man cross, the He Man crossover, yeah, the pool, yeah, yeah. crossover, the horror crossover. Whatever's been lifted off the shelf, we love novelty things like that. When you see your favorite pro wrestler married into your favorite subtopic, and pro wrestling and horror, whether we like it or not, have always walked hand in hand. It's the reason the take the taker has had a twenty-five year career or thirty-year career. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But this is this is this lends itself to this other aspect. I said I see two new avenues of pro wrestling going to fill the channel. I see one this celebrity pro wrestling thing, like dancing with the stars, only pro wrestling with the stars. And another aspect, I see them continuing the cinemagraphic topic simply because it marries two things that he's already done. One, dabbling in cinema and building a production base. Like when he had fucking Hear No Evil or wherever it was 10, 15 years ago with fucking with Kane. And then he which had all was, these which movies. Which was a very, very nice B movie, by the way. All right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, he's already done this. He has the production. He has... We've spoken another another aspect of this, tying in many loose ends, that if you don't have 
a way to spend your money. America finds a way to take your money. Whereas if you're investing in new products and new things, you're keeping your money bouncing, 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 bouncing. Spend instead of lose. Why pay it in tax when you can pay it in people? And the shopkeeper can chime in on that too, because that's a great yeah. uh, that's a great point actually, Jay. Because uh, you remember the film? Um, I don't know whether you guys remember it anyway, but I, I remember watching it uh, and showing somebody. I think it was a friend or whatever it was. I think I actually might have watched it, watched it with the boss Rachel or something. Mm. Um, the call with Halle Berry, where she's like the, the call assistant, you know, and there's mm. like some sort of um, kidnapping that took place. Nobody knew about this movie, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it was advertised on Raw and all, but you didn't think twice of it, you know what I mean? Because you, you tend to zone out of, of these uh, of these sponsors. Mm. So, WWE, it was a WWE paid movie. Right. You know what I mean? And it done pretty well. So but I think that's a great point that you make. Quoting all the loose ends, over here in column A, the guys producing movies, they're not great movies, you're not looking to be fucking sold a Spielberg, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then two, five to seven years ago, on our shelves in Smith's, we're seeing these fucking zombie and ghoul characters. Three, the plowing into these cinemagraphic matches. He's It's almost like he's tying in two aspects of his business that he's always had on. But you see the network plowing into different forms of entertainment and becoming its own thing sooner or later, almost like a, a TBS or a fucking, you know what I mean? Like a channel. Lance, how about we end the show on this topic right we probably have about 10 minutes left right so why don't we end on this one and address the elephant in the room because you know podcasts that are bigger than ours at the moment like fucking Jim Cornette and all those are actually talking about it realistically in my opinion and I think I've said this to you Noel and I think I've said it on the podcast before Disney and NBC are battling for WWE they eventually want this right everything is being sold um, this, this is going. This is going to be a thing that one of those companies are going to own eventually, right? Because they're buying up everything. Um, and I think Jim Cornette said it correctly. You know, Vince is the type of guy that will look at what UFC was sold for, and if he gets one dollar more, boom! It's it, you know what I mean. Vince is an old, but but the thing about it is, Jay. I know you're kind of making that face, but it is true. Because it's the same way that when UFC was bought over, everyone worried about the Chinese buying over fucking UFC. Fact is, they've kept the main part in place, which is Dana White. It was Tim the hat on. And when Shane disappeared for five years and went to China and started plowing into uh, televisual aspects, and then sooner or later, a consortium of people roll in and buy... The UFC. UFC exactly at the same exactly. time that Taker is standing in front of Brock Lesnar on a UFC telecast. Yeah, well, there you go. You could you could put it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a great point, and I but I do think eventually, and I think Noel, we we both agreed on, on this a while back. Why don't you chime in with that, Noel? Because you you actually said that to me a while back too. That you think it's only a matter of time for the likes of Disney or someone like that owns WWE eventually, but they will keep someone like a Triple H as as the guy in place. Do you know what I mean? Because they do like, even with Marvel, Disney don't tend to like get involved with it. They still have their comics. Like, I mean, I buy the comics all the time and there's no like, Oh, here's a little Mickey Mouse fucking ad in the middle of it. Do you know what I mean? They keep it separate. They're very good at their business. Disney. That's why they're the fucking largest conglomerate in the world. Club 33, baby. 
it tends to be um, it tends to be an ownership thing rather than an operational. Exactly. Um, they tend yeah. to want to go in there and kind of own the planet, but they don't necessarily want to get into the bones of the operational of it. You know, yes. if it's not bring us your product. Yeah, bring us your product, but like you know, you're going to give us your product, but ultimately we're going to own it. Um, but I think that's for a time. That'll that'll be a time. I would imagine long after Vince, because I don't think that's a situation that would sit with Vince. Um, I think very much it could be a situation that sits later on with a Steph or a Shane or a Triple H um, in terms of, you know, expanding the product and stuff like that. But then again, mm. I do think if it does move in, in that direction and that was to happen, I think that's where you're getting to see more of your cinematic type stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and and you know, I, I even mentioned that. H is the wrong guy then, right? Because H would be like, fuck off. Yeah, but it's gone to the vision, well, it's like, gone to the vision. I'm not too sure if that's the case because if you remember, if you go back and you look H at the directed tape, it, yeah, directed that documentary, it, yeah. he was heavily involved in the boneyard stuff. Yeah, um, directed it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can also see in when you go back and you look at the boneyard match, although visually and cinematic, it was fantastic. There's still that uh, there's still that bit of wrestling, that bit of old school work in there as well that hasn't escaped. But that's but that's with two workers though. Yeah. yeah but each uh, would have been a big influence on that as well. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's um I think that's I mean we, we spoke on a podcast before, Jay, recently where we said it's probably not gonna be too long before we see a CGI wrestler in a cinematic yeah. match. Um, yeah, but that's the day I give up. Yeah. Look, look, but man, he's done all this. It's like Vince wants to be Walt. He's had his rock and wrestling cartoon. He's gone. He tried Warrior with his fucking comic book. It wasn't great. How long before we see a Marvel universe of WW made superstars in a comic book franchise? He's got his figures on the shelf, which is crossing the turtles, the fucking Ghostbusters, horror shit. He's got cinemagraphic matches. I don't think he wants to sell to be Walt Disney. I think he wants to be Walt Disney. He mm. wants all of these aspects. And it's his company. He's plowing hard into every different franchise. I, I, I think the problem there, though, be Jay, is Hollywood and his yeah. B-movies. Yeah, but I think, I think the problem that you have in there is with the, with the substantial growth of Disney and NBC and all these other big entertainment organizations, um, it's only a matter of time before he can fend that off in a market where everyone is struggling to try and win your entertainment time and money and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think eventually it will have to sort of, you know, move one way or another. It stood on its own so long and the WWE Network stands up there and stuff like that. But, you know, when you look at the WWE Network and then you look at Disney Plus or you look at Amazon Prime or you look at, you know, you look at NBC and all these other things, it, it, it kind of really is, you know, it's a big fish in our world, but it's a small fish in the world of entertainment. Absolutely, Noel. Yeah. On, on that point, like you look at, for example, like this week, it's just been announced that, um, you know, the, the Mighty Ducks series, like they've taken, they, they've obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, they've obviously taken what Cobra Kai done. And now they're like, all right, let's make a Mighty Ducks series of the kids growing up and stuff like that. You know what I mean? They're always thinking outside the box and they always have a vault of classics that can appeal to the likes of us 
You know what I mean? Especially in a world now, because we are talking in a world where <laughs> I just thought I'd try a shout out to Don Marnell there with his old in a world where whoever the fuck, I always loved that, uh, that in a world guy from the v- old VHS 90s movies. Um, <laughs> in a world think- where Chris Hemsworth <laughs> is putting on masks to play Hulk Hogan, who is going to be holding, the next Disney. <laughs> you know? Um, but I think I think that's what it really kind of boils down to, like because like we look at um yeah, like even even that's a great point that Jay made, even though it was a joke. Chris Hemsworth it wasn't a doing, joke. He's doing a series, <laughs> an actual series about Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan's yeah. life. You know what I mean? Thor like, is Hulk Hogan. <laughs> these guys have it fucking these guys have it nailed down, you know? Um yeah, but I mean, even even if you look at the success of, say, the Dark Side of the Ring series, you know, what's to say that they can't go out there and make series about the good side of the ring, and and it could be equally as successful? You know, well, I, mean? I would, I, mean, I, w- I would agree with that. I would. Agree we with we that. we ha- we already have that. We have forty years of professional wrestling. Who bought all the tapes? Who bought all the old history? Who has the biggest archive of professional wrestling oh, on the okay. planet right now? No, but what, what I'm saying, Jay, is if you look at, say, the success even of, say, Undertaker's documentary, The Last Ride, the six-part series, who, who's to say you couldn't turn, say, the career of, say, The Undertaker, who's had a 25, 30-year mm-hmm. career or whatever it is, who's to say that that couldn't be turned into a TV series that tracks mm-hmm. it from the start to finish and would be something mm-hmm. that we'd be very much interested in? Because... <laughs> You know, more often than not, we're wrestling fans. They're always very interested in the, you know, the tragedy sometimes of these things. But um, there's a lot of good stuff in wrestling as well that would make for very interesting viewing in terms of... hundred years of glory. Why can't we do a documentary on John Cena and CM Punk and all these guys that have done so much wonder? They're all coming. They're all coming. Well, I don't believe so. I think people like the, the, the dread. People like the fucking... To hear... That Kurt Henning was a great guy, but he eventually passed. Do you know what I mean? I think it's just it's it's a cultural thing. And I think it's down to the people that people want to feel sad, even though it's not necessarily something you would openly admit that you want to feel sad, but it's something that you watch and want to kind of go, Oh, good lord, Jesus, I feel bad about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but Wrestling fans like a good story as well. They like it. They like yeah. that good fail story yes. as well. You know? No, I know. The Warrior that. Coming Home. I do the know. The Warrior that. Coming Home is arguably the most successful. But there's, a, sad, but there's a sadness in the end. That's what I'm saying. No, there, but story. there isn't, though. There is uh, one day every well, day. I'll tell you what. But there's a sadness in the end because you look at the man walking out of breath and his two little daughters are there. Yeah, but their, their no, 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 but, but, but Ian, perspective is everything. But I don't see that. What I see is him walking out. No, but his, but his led kids by, see that because his yeah, kids no, are but, no, but, but no, Ian, on his Hall of Fame speech, I didn't see that. I forgot immediately every piece of bullshit, every oh, yeah. aspect of it. Right? Yeah, of course. And what I heard, the first words out of his mouth in the Hall of Fame were, the most important thing in my life are the two girls sitting down there right now. What I hear is two nine-year-olds or two two kids sitting there in a room full of applause. It wouldn't have been a day before their father passed. But this man standing in front of the world saying, I got to come home because I held my integrity together. And now I get to stand in front of the, all you people and say it was all for you too. 
everything was reused to. And I see nothing but beauty in that. It's, it's the same way. Oh, I, I, I agree with that. I agree. I, like I, perspective I, is everything. Do you know I one hundred percent agree with you there. Do you know what I mean? But like you, you can you can see my point, and I can see your. Point. I can. No, I absolutely can. You know what I mean? Um, but the, again, but look, too many. Without, without getting too much into like kind of sadness, it's a different podcast. Up the show, without wrapping up a show on sadness, um, yeah. we'll hand it over to the shopkeeper so we can wrap it up in, in terms of a uh, in a nice way. <laughs> but, but I agree with you, Jay. I just wanted to say that I do. I do 100%. No, and I agree with you absolutely but again perspective is everything yeah well, well as always it's been a pleasure again lads um, so head over to YouTube smash that subscribe and bell notification button um, you'll also find us on Anchor if you want the audio versions of these podcasts always a pleasure we love the segues and we don't always <laughs> we don't always end the way we start but we always end with positivity and we always continue to love the sport and, and we will always love pro wrestling. Absolutely. Until next time, from myself, from the Dynamo, and from the D-O-double-G, we shall talk to Ow. you again.